In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. First of all, I want to express gratitude for my being back at St. James. It was such an important part of our family's life here in New York many years ago. And it's so good to be back in this beautiful and holy place. I'm grateful for Brenda and Jay, who are longtime friends, for making this possible. And I'm grateful for you who are present here, both you who are present in person and you who are present through the connectivity of the digital waves through the space. It's all good to be together. I want to begin by just making a preference statement considering what is happening in the Ukraine. So what I'm going to preach about is not to ignore the cruelty and injustice, not only of the Ukraine, but throughout the world, even in our own nation. But rather, it is to proclaim the good news in the very face of all of that. The good news, as the gospel says, of the breaking in of the kingdom of God. Or as Tilden Edwards, who is the founder of the Shalane Institute for Spiritual Formation, says, the kingdom of heaven. I sort of like that. The kingdom of heaven. That is what we proclaim and celebrate today, not just with this sermon, but with this whole service. And this is such a great day to be here at St. James and to share a little bit about what's been so important to me over the last decade plus of contemplative prayer, contemplative spirituality, contemplative living, and contemplative leading wherever we might be leaders. It's the last Sunday of the Epiphany, and the Gospel is the Transfiguration. Matter of fact, right over there is the Chapel of the Transfiguration with this beautiful mosaic, acknowledging and giving thanks for this of the greatest epiphanies of Jesus. When Peter and his companions accompanied him up onto the Mount of the Transfiguration, as it is called now. Where, quote, as was his custom, that's said not in this reading, but at other places in the Gospels, Jesus went to pray and went into the silence and the stillness to pray, to be present with the divine presence. That is the best definition of prayer I know, to be present with the divine presence. And the appearance of Jesus' face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. The fullness 
the fullness of who Jesus was, is, shine forth. Yesterday, as Brenda shared with you, we gathered in Coburn Hall and tried to take a little deep dive into contemplative spirituality, contemplative living. And it was a, such a wonderful time together. We explored this part of our Christian tradition of proclaiming the good news because it is a part of our ancient Christian tradition, a beautiful part. And now this ancient Christian tradition of contemplative spirituality that especially in the West had been forgotten, ignored, rejected, is now being reclaimed in the 20th century and in the 21st century for faithful living in this century. It is so rich with the invitation to live life from a deeper place. The gospel reading of the Transfiguration holds hints of what this gift is and how we open ourselves to receive it. Now, the gospel reads, now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. They were not fully awake. Why? Exhausted, afraid, weary, angry, lost, for whatever reason, they were not fully awake. Just think of the times in your own lives when you are not fully awake, but rather are taken away from your true authentic self by something that happened or by something that didn't happen, by some wandering thought, or by some intense emotion. We all are weighed down by sleep from one point to another. That is spiritual sleep in one way or another. Just trying to survive. We grab for ways to survive and these ways often, ways often are not the best ways to live. They let us down. So as far as living life in abundance, we fall short. And sometimes we don't even realize that we're falling short because we've never got a glimpse of the abundance that God offers to us. Jesus in the Gospel of John says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And also 
Jesus says, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Well, now this is our invitation. This is a glimpse of the fullness of life that we are promised, the fullness of life that resides deep within us. This is the disciples' invitation when they were weighed down with sleep. However, however, they were just strong enough not to go to sleep. They were just strong enough to stay awake long enough to see the great epiphany of the transfiguration. Perhaps it was because they had spent those years with Jesus that their interior spirit had been shaped and strengthened and formed just enough to stay awake even though they were weighed down by sleep. And because they stayed awake, they saw the fullness of Jesus embodied before them. The fullness of Jesus embodied into the reality of the earth. It was a vision of hope and promise. Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk of the 20th century. He was one of the earliest and most articulate reclaimers of the ancient Christian tradition of contemplative spirituality. He lived in, an ab in the Abbey of Our Lady of Gethsemane, not so very far from Louisville. So one day he was in Louisville, innocently walking the streets, perhaps shopping or being there to see somebody, minding his own business, when Merton had a vision that swept him up, not unlike the one that Peter and the company of followers had. He was at the corner of 4th and Walnut in Louisville, a very ordinary sight. Now, Judy and I grew up in Bennettsville, South Carolina, and that would have been the corner of Broad and Main, a very ordinary sight for an extraordinary vision. Here is Merton's vision. I'm going to read it to you. It is found in his book, The Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander. In Louisville, at the corner of Fourth and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all of these people that they were mine and I theirs, 
that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate, as if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me. Now that I realize what we all are. And if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained. There's no way of telling people that they are walking around shining like the sun. Then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts the depths of their hearts, where neither sin nor the desire nor the self-knowledge can reach the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could all see themselves as they really are, if only we could see each other that way all the time, there would be no more war, no more hatred, no more cruelty, no more greed. But this cannot be seen, only believed, and, quote, understood by a peculiar gift. I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts. Beneath all of the crap, now that's a highly theological term. I don't know whether you know that or not. Clergy know this well. So. Beneath all of the crap and all of the hurt and all of the sleep and all of the anger and all of the defensiveness, I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts even though even though they could not see it for themselves for they we were are asleep asleep to the fullness of who we are that fullness is secret even to us. Perhaps the central journey of the spiritual life is to actually see the beauty of our own hearts. And so that we can see the secret beauty of others' hearts as well even when they do not see it. Now, we will never get to this deep place by our mind alone. We will never be able to 
climb this mountain with thought alone, you cannot really believe this just by someone like me standing up here and saying, but it has to resonate with something deep within you, which is the presence of the divine within each one of us. We'll never get there by our mind alone. There are too many dangers and pitfalls and detours. But we can open our hearts to the heart of God. We can intentionally enter into the holy silence and the sacred stillness and be open to receive, to be, to be embodied by the spirit of the beloved. We can awake as the contemplatives of old said, to see with the eyes of the heart and to hear with the ears of the heart. By this, we can receive the fullness of grace and love and compassion and courage and creativity. It's not that so much that we climb a mountain to get there. It's more that we stop and be still and silent and open our hearts to receive what is actually always there to begin with so that we can become as Jesus is, an embodiment of heavenly presence in this reality of earth. Thou will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That can be the prayer for us as well. Not to be the same as Jesus, of course, well, that's impossible. Jesus' uniqueness is one. But what is possible is to be our own unique, God-created, God-nurtured, God-protected, full self. We can begin to get a glimpse perhaps just a glimpse of the secret beauty of our hearts and then begin to get a glimpse of the secret beauty in others even when it's overcast with storm clouds. This is what Lent invites us to do, to go deeper to see clearer, to awaken to awareness 
of wh who we authentically are, who we are called to become. Just a few glimpses of the secret beauty of our hearts can be transformative. And this will be pleasing to God beyond measure. Irenaeus, a bishop in France of the second century, famously proclaimed the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And I would add, fully awake. You do not have to be around me very long before I will be referencing a Mary Oliver poem. That wonderful poet so connected with creation and with the divine spirit flowing through creation and through us. She's been a close friend of mine for many years now. Of course, she doesn't know who the heck I am. But through her poems, I feel so connected to her and grateful. Mary Oliver died in 2019, but her spirit is still among us through her poems. So I would like to end today with reading one of her favorite poems. And that is, When I Am Among the Trees. When I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locusts, equally the beech, the oaks, and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say they save me and daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. Around me, the trees stir in their leaves and call out, Stay a while. The light flows from their branches. And they call again. It's simple, they say. And you too have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine. Now on the way home today, I invite you just to see if you can open just a bit to seeing deep, deep within a glimpse of the secret beauty of your heart. And also to see if you can see in others, friends and strangers, a slight sparkle of the secret beauty of their hearts. And feel what that feels like.
Feel it on the emotional level, but also feel it in your body. The lightness that it brings and the joy. Just like it did for Thomas Merton. It's simple, they say. And you too have come into the world to do this. To go easy, to be filled with light and to shine. May it be so. Amen.